Amanda, remember that time? We didn't make mistakes. We just had happy accidents. Hello, and welcome to Remember That Time, the historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. And we're back. And we're, we sound tired. Stellar. <laughs> Listen, okay, here's what happened to me between the last episode and this episode is we got a yeah, lot of snow. A lot of snow. Yeah, like not, we will typically get, if we're lucky in the winter anymore, like one really solid four to six inch snow, right? Yeah. We got one to two feet in my county, yeah, all right? So we got a lot of snow. So we were out of school for a week. Yeah. So I didn't speak for a week <laughs> straight. And then we came back to school and I taught every day, right? And also, we started back up our theater club that I helped to run. So then I was talking for like 10 hours straight every day this week. So if I'm sounding sort of thus, that's where we're at. (laughs) Thank God I'm I'm not in charge of this episode because... I got you. I'm sure you're already tired of this. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I'm having a time. We're doing great. We're doing really great. Everything's oh, fine. Oh, man. Everything is fine. The snow has gone. It's warm. My sinuses yeah. are loving that. Yeah. And that's and so on top of good. that, it's now 60 degrees yeah. after two feet of snow. So, like, we love it here. Climate change is absolutely real. Let's do something about it because it's bad. Because I'm, um, suffer- I'm suffering. Because I personally <laughs> am suffering. <laughs> no, we're, we're kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> just want to make that very clear. Um, well, okay, let's just get, let's just get going. Let's do it. Should we do a drink update? Let's absolutely do a drink update. Um, it's another morning record, so I've got uh-huh. some coffee. And I'm suffering, so I have some water. <laughs> That's great. Go team. Great all around. Mm-hmm. Well, today I thought we would discuss another public television icon. I love it. A legend of PBS, if you will. We're going to talk about Bob Ross. Yay. This is a lovely start to the new year. Well, yeah. The the, the ending is kind of sad and frustrating. Yeah, his, but... is, his, is, his is sadder. But still, <laughs> yeah. just sort of generally, like, these are good folks to talk about at the start of a yeah. new year. Yeah. It's good. So, it's a good January. I like it. Absolutely. I agree. So <clears throat> I watched as part of my research and I had already seen it, but I rewatched for the research, um, the Netflix documentary. Um, and it's called Bob Ross, happy accidents, betrayal and greed. So there will be some references to that in here. And I highly recommend if you're interested in learning more about Bob and what happened with his company to watch that documentary. I never got around to that one. So I'm excited to, yeah, I know. I just never saw it. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get into it then? I am. Okay, great. So Robert Norman Ross is born on October 29th, 1942 in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, His father, Jack, is a carpenter and his mother, Ollie, is a waitress. Um, He also has a half-brother, Jim, and we will be getting back to Jim or uh, Jimmy. 
some we're gonna call him jimmy a lot too okay there's not a ton about like his childhood because again no one was really noting him in his he was just a dude he was just just a a dude um but he was very into taking care of animals if he found animals that were wounded he would always care for them and i think a lot of people who have watched his show know that can tell that yeah um he took care of armadillos snakes alligators squirrels notably were kind of his thing um he does drop out of high school in the ninth grade couldn't really find out much about why i think he just Uh wasn't didn't love school was not for him yeah um And he also, uh, he goes to kind of work with his dad as a carpenter for a while. He, at one point, has an accident with a saw, and he loses part of his left index finger. Oh, my gosh. Um, And he just, it's just so interesting because on his show, he's spending so much time, like, holding his a palette in his left hand that uh-huh. you would never know um, that he is missing part of his finger on that hand. Yeah, I had no, I did not know that. Yeah. That's wild. Um, he... Hold on, the cat's trying to get in. She's causing a problem. Oh, okay. Just come in. Come in or don't. Okay. <laughs> still leave that open for her. Opened the door, just sat on. and stared at me. I yeah, opened the door just and she just looked to know up. What you were doing? Yeah, always. Okay. Anyway, um, he does have a child when he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about this uh, person. Wow. Huh. Nothing. Uh, wasn't really part of Bob's life as an adult. I don't know. Huh. But he had a kid before he grew up and, you know, became the Bob Ross that we know now. Seems like he had a, a wild kind of teen years. A little maybe. bit, yeah. It seems yeah. like it. Um, when he's 18, in 1961, he enlists in the U.S. Air Force, and he ends up serving in the Air Force for about 20 years. Wow. Um... He is very tall. He's six foot two, and he also has flat feet. So he doesn't train as a pilot, um, and he doesn't work on planes. He has a desk job in the Air Force um, as a medical records technician. Oh, okay. Um, but he does rise through the ranks. Um, he eventually becomes a master sergeant, and he serves as a first sergeant um, of the clinic at Isles. Eilson, I think is how you say it, um, mm-hmm. Air Force Base in Alaska. So he serves in Alaska for a long time. I think a lot of people know that about him, too, because he would reference it on the show a lot that he yeah. lived in Alaska. Yes. Um, he was living there while he was in the military. Okay. Um, I liked this quote. When, when he reached the rank of first sergeant, he described himself as, quote, the guy who makes you scrub the latrine, the guy who makes you make your bed, the guy who screams at you for being late to work. Um, and he got the nickname Bust Him Up Bobby because he was tough. He was very tough in the uh-huh. military. Um, he kind of had to be. And he didn't really like that kind of role. He, yeah. he didn't like yelling at people. Bob was mm-hmm. a very quiet person and quiet personality, and that didn't work for him. So he kind of told himself, when I'm out of here, I'm not ever behaving like that sure again yeah um but he loves his time in alaska otherwise and he really falls in love with the landscape there um and he starts painting while he is still serving 
um, mm-hmm. after going to a class at a USO club. And he continues taking other classes and he starts supplementing his Air Force income by working at a tavern um, <laughs> in town. And That's cool. While he's working there, he was he will sell his paintings to tourists. He does these landscape paintings on these um, gold panning tins, so they're like big gold plates, basically. And he um, he paints on those and, and sells them. And you can see in the doc they talk about it a little bit. Um, and <clears throat> his first wife is in the documentary, and she's got them displayed in her home. So you can see a couple of them there. That's cool. cool. Um, Speaking of, in 1965, he marries his first wife, Vivian, or Vicky Ridge. And the next year, they have a son, Steve. People know Steve if you've watched the show because he eventually starts appearing on Bob's show later on um, and also is a certified, uh, Ross certified uh, painting instructor later Mm. which we'll get back to all of that sure um around the year 1975 bob sees a show called the magic of oil painting and it is hosted by the german painter william or bill alexander and bill uses a technique called alla prima which in italian means the first attempt but it is more commonly known as wet on wet um Mm -hmm. so Basically, it allows you to complete a painting really quickly because you're layering different oil paints um, right away instead of waiting for the layers to dry. So you can build mm-hmm. upon the wet canvas. <clears throat> you blend and, a lot in a, in a um, method like that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts using that technique on his little tin paintings and they sell really well. And eventually... His the money that he makes selling these paintings surpasses his salary with the military. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild. Um, in 1977, Bob and Vicky divorce. They had kind of a contentious marriage. Um, mm. but you know, not a lot of bad blood after the fact. I don't think. But um, he apparently was not faithful to her. Mm -hmm. This is an issue for Bob in his life. Um, One of his, one of the people who worked on the show that is in the documentary, whose name I can't remember right now, said that he just, he loved to flirt. He loved Mm. to flirt. And like, he he was that kind of guy. Um, So he gets a divorce. And then later that same year, he marries his second wife, Jane Lee Zanardelli. Um, and Jane, he says he's married to Jane for quite a long time. Um, he retires from the Air Force in 1981 as a master sergeant. Wow. And after he leaves, he gets back into his art classes. He takes a lot, um, when he goes back to Florida and he starts studying the wet on wet technique directly under William Alexander when he's back in Florida. So he starts cool. going to his classes. Um, and then he gets offered a job to join um, Alexander's Alexander Magic Art Supplies Company. Mm-hmm. And he becomes a traveling salesman and a painting instructor, a painting tutor. What a f- wild path of life. I know, right? Drops out of high school, joins the military. All right, we've heard that story before, right? Mm-hmm. Becomes a painter in his spare time. 
becomes a traveling salesman for art supplies. Yeah. Like, that's a, what a wild, like, yeah. path to take yeah. in life. So he is traveling around teaching classes. Um, and in one of his classes in Clearwater, Florida, which oh. we could talk about in a totally different context if we wanted to. Certainly. He meets a woman named Annette Kowalski. We're going to talk a lot about Annette Kowalski and her husband. Um, So she meets Bob. They meet at a class. Uh, She was already an artist um, and had started taking more classes. She actually wanted to go to one of Bill's classes, but he wasn't teaching them at the time. And she heard, oh, there's like a protege of his. So I'll go to that. And that's where she meets Bob. Um, And... She had been through, like, kind of a traumatic event. She had recently lost a son in a traffic accident. And she said that Bob's, like, very kind and calm demeanor just made her feel a lot better. And she kind of had this spark of, like, he could sell that. Like, he could sell Mm -hmm. this personality along with the painting and make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, And make a good career. So she and Bob become friends, and she convinces him that he should start his own company. Mm-hmm. So Bob, his wife, Jane, and Annette, and her husband, Walt, they pool their savings, basically, and they start this company. And Annette serves as Bob's manager. And the idea is basically to take what William Alexander is doing and, and start doing it. For themselves, I guess. Right. Um, now, Bob did always publicly credit Bill Alexander for teaching him this technique and, you know, really showing him the ropes. And he wouldn't mm-hmm. be a master of it if it weren't for him. But right. Bill was a little bitter about it. He accused him of, like, stealing it from him and copying mm-hmm. him and betraying him. Um, and he said to the New York Times in an interview... What bothers me is not just that he betrayed me, but that he thinks he can do it better, Mm. which is so funny because he went around basically saying that like he had invented this technique, but that is not true. Right. It has has existed. It's a very old technique. Yes. Since like the 15th century, like the most prominent example of it is like impressionism, impressionism, Uh excuse me. Um, like when you see impressionist paintings, that's yeah. what they're doing, right? That's so a very old technique. technique. What on what is a very old technique? Yeah. Now they were both doing mostly landscapes with it, which meant they were pretty similar. But he didn't invent, and you know, and he yeah. but Bob credits him. He says, yeah. He and also, when you're watching, this. when you're watching Bob Ross, he you you know at least you should as the viewer. That, that he, he did, did not, not invent that. Absolutely. And he makes yeah, that pretty like, clear, I think, in how he yeah, it's just it. he's that he's just describing it as this is the technique that I'm using. He doesn't yes. say it's the technique that I created. Right. Like right. lots of people have used that technique and gotten better than the people that they learned it from. Like yes. that's normal, I would say. And what else is interesting too is that um they were talking about it in the documentary that like Bob was really intentional about when he starts doing the show, which we'll get to here in a minute, he wants to be that calm presence because Bill was kind of 
opposite, a little more sure. abrasive. It wasn't mean or anything, but he was just a little more intense and yeah. had a lot of energy. And You'll get that in any types of like arts education when you're like learning a new medium you'll have the and he those was are on kind the of the shows, so that the, was like his way of being yeah those are kind of the personalities you'll see yeah. will be that like big personality like kind of abrasive or the very yeah. like a little more like strict or you'll have that very gentle like that's I, i'd say that's like normal to see in that yeah, kind totally. of yeah yeah context um okay so they start this company and at first it doesn't do great because they're kind of just doing something that already exists and he's you know he's like scheduling painting classes and people aren't really showing up and you know because who knows who this guy is right right um i just found this interesting so let's talk about the hair because everybody knows bob ross for the hair yeah they make it part of the logo when they Uh create the company and this means that bob can never change his hair yeah and he does not like that. He actually didn't love the hair. He had started perming it as a way to like save money on haircuts. Basically, he would go like get, get a it, per, get a haircut and a perm once every however like, long instead of yeah. Yeah, his son in the documentary said that he would call it quote having his springs tightened every few months, <laughs> um, which I thought was cute, um, but. Yeah, he his and his son said he was like he was a hair guy. Like he liked to do different things with his hair. It was generally straight. He the pictures of him when he's young, he's very like cool, suave guy. Um, uh-huh. But he started doing this when he got out of the military to like save money and make it easy. And then he could never. Change and I'm also it. sure it's it's a new like you're in the military. You're used to that like buzz cut. Like yes, he wanted to do something totally. very dramatic and different. Yeah, probably. So in 1982. A TV station in Falls Church, Virginia, airs a taping of one of Bob's art classes. And it kind of uh-huh. becomes like a pilot for The Joy of Painting, which okay. will become his show. 60 PBS stations sign up for the show within the first year. Wow. Yeah. So it hit a nerve of some kind with people where they were like, okay. Oh, I love that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 1983, uh, the PBS station WIPB, um, in Muncie, Indiana, sort of lured him in with the promise of, uh, creative freedom. Um, you know, you could film your show here and you get to be in charge, basically. Um, mm-hmm. and he liked working there with them. So he would film up there with the staff and, and he enjoyed that. So, while he does still live in Florida, he continues to travel to Muncie every three months to tape the show. Uh-huh. Um, he said that he he did the show for free, and he mostly made his income from the, like, how-to books and videotapes and art supplies that they end up selling uh-huh. as part of the, like, program. Sure. Um, eventually, The Joy of Painting is carried by more than 275 stations. Wow. It's wild. So here's kind of how the show would go. First of all, he he would film like three episodes in a day, mm-hmm. which is a lot. But they're also so quick. 
Like they are pretty quick, yeah. But there's like more it's, to it than just the the filming, sh- right? Sure, but the actual filming, it's not like they're doing like multiple takes, like you do with another show. It's no, like that, he starts yes. painting and it just goes. All yes. the setup and stuff is the long part, but it's a half. The hour fact that segment. it's not refilming the same thing over and over again is a little less like grueling, you know? Yeah, it, it's a half hour segment. He, the actual painting is probably closer to like. 22 minutes because he's talking and introducing and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but basically if you haven't seen the show, what he does is it's a half hour segment where he teaches you the wet on wet technique and he doesn't do a sketch or anything first. He just brings out the canvas and creates it in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll explain his palette. He'll explain the process. Um, Sometimes there are little clips of animals because, again, Bob loves animals. And as he's going about his life, he'll, like, film a bunch of wildlife and then he'll have them inserted in the show. Um, Again, if you've seen the show, you know that, like, he has little squirrels on the show all the time. And he'll put little little bits of him, like, yeah. There's, like, some really great footage of him with a fox. And it's, like, climbing on his shoulder and Uh getting up in his hair. It's so cute. Um. So, and sometimes he'll put the animals in the paintings, you know, Uh on the canvas. He paints, at the start at least, he paints three versions for every painting that he creates for the show. So this is another reason it takes a lot of time. Oh, okay. He paints the first prior to taping and then puts it on an easel off camera. And then he uses that as reference for the second painting, which he creates So he, like, knows what he's doing. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. And then the third would be created after taping, and it was more detailed. And that is the one that goes into the books that he's created, okay. the instructional books. Um, one of the people who worked on the show in the documentary said eventually he kind of stopped doing the pre-painting, and it would just come from his mind. You know, he didn't feel like he needed to do that anymore. I think early on it was more about, like, can you create this in this amount of time? And, like, giving himself a safety net, too, of, like, okay, I have something I'm looking at. I know what yeah. I need. Like, I'm talking through. When you're talking through it, it's easy to, like, forget a step. But when you're looking yeah. at it, you can be like, okay, and then I'm going to do this next. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then she said as he would kind of <laughs> – she said as he would kind of do it more from his imagination. She said, and then – this is not a direct quote, but she said something like, and then at the last minute, he would be like, and maybe there's a big tree in front. And I would go, oh, no, is he going to finish the painting in time? Because now he's adding things. <laughs> you know, at, at the end of some of the paintings, he'll be like, you know, we just need a big old tree right here in the foreground. And he'd just put a huge tree right in the middle of whatever he just painted. And, and you'd go, be like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> We're running out of time. Uh, which I thought was really funny. But so each version is marked on the side or back. The first version was marked Kowalski. I don't know why. Maybe she wanted to keep over something. I guess. The second version, TV, because it's the one he did for the show. Mm. And then the third, the book for the book version. Um, So the Kowalskis really get into like the sort of... I, I guess merchandising aspect the of money side of it yeah they start uh, developing art supplies and recordings of the classes um eventually it becomes a 15 million dollar business known wow. as bob ross inc which we'll talk uh-huh. more about bob ross inc um and eventually they start 
training other artists that then can go around and, and teach the Bob Ross style. Uh-huh. Um, Bob paints an estimated 30,000 paintings during his Ooh, life. Ooh, that is a lot of paintings. Well, three for every show and then some I know. for a while. I know. And that's also not counting, well, this number is, but like, then all of the paintings he did when he was in the military and like I think all of that included in this. the ones that he sold during that time. Yes. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. This was like by his own estimate, I think. Sure. So that's him saying I probably did about that many in my life. Yeah. Um, now, despite the fact that there were that many paintings, a Bob Ross original is very hard to come by. Yeah. Find it very easily. Um, sale prices tend to be in the thousands. It's not really like fine art. So you're not going to be paying like millions of dollars for a Bob right. Ross piece. But, um, you know, you don't come across them very often. Major auction houses have never sold a Bob Ross painting. Wow. And Bob Ross Inc. still owns um, the most of the ones he did for the show. Sure. Um. Well, because at that at this point, those are historical pieces. Yeah, but Bob yeah. is really against um, having his work turned into like something for financial gain. Sure, sure. He he the, didn't really want to sell be, them. Those should be in a museum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That belongs in a museum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Now, the first television painting that he did called A Walk in the Woods did sell. It sold as part of a pledge drive. Um, Ah, PBS. We love you. Yeah. Much love, PBS. Shortly after the first season aired, so it was already, like... Frankly, that's how all of his paintings should have been sold, for PBS pledge drives. Well... Every single... You know, like... Yeah. Yeah. As of September 2023, the, that painting is in the hands of Ryan Nelson, who is a Minnesota-based art dealer. He bought it from the original buyer who got it mm. from that auction. Um, he has said that he has placed an asking price of $9.8 million for the sale of that painting. Wow. And he says that he has other plans for it if it doesn't sell, but... He is willing to part with it for nine point eight million dollars. If if anybody's interested, I just thought that was interesting. Um, Bob is obviously known for all of the little phrases that he repeats mm-hmm. on the show, like "happy little accidents" or "happy little trees," "happy accidents," um, or when he cleans his paintbrush and he says, "Just beat the devil we're out just, of it." We're just gonna beat the devil out of it. <laughs> and just beat the devil out of it. He always giggles and, when he and, says it, and then too. just. of the brush immediately it's so funny just beat the devil out of it (laughs) this voice is so funny to me um he wears jeans and a light colored shirt on every episode because he thinks it's a timeless look it is it's very classy it's like casual but classic (laughs) and he hosts as if he's speaking to a single person or viewer he Mm. is very into it being like an intimate kind of relationship and yeah. this also goes back to like him intentionally hosting very different from bill alexander he wanted to be mm-hmm. the exact opposite and he also he knows that the majority of his audience are women and he mm-hmm. plays to that his yeah. son in the documentary said he used to practice because he wanted sure. it to sound like a little sensual but mostly mm-hmm. friendly which, yes which is so interesting because it's like 
hit the nail on the head, buddy. Like, you nailed yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, like, he also, he teaches classes, so he wants the show to be different than the classes when he's talking to, like, a lot of people. Yeah, although, you know, like, by the time the a different experience, big, he's not teaching quite as many classes, because now sure. he's got all these certified instructors, and they're the ones sure. that travel, but, yeah. But, like, when he started, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he uses a lightly sanded palette to avoid reflections um, from the lights mm. in the studio, which I thought was interesting. That's He's interesting. Got that big palette. Yeah. So imagine it being shiny. <laughs> yeah. That would oh be my bad. gosh. Um, and he is very insistent that anyone can paint. Everybody can mm-hmm. paint. Anyone can cook. <laughs> anyone can cook. Yeah, exactly. Anyone can paint. He says, he said in an episode, and again, they put this little clip in the documentary and it just kind of stuck in my head. And I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said something like, you know, people think it takes a lot of skill to do something like that, this, but skill is just something you practice. Like it doesn't have to be inherent, right? Anybody can practice it. Anybody can learn it and anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Um which, of course, gives us that famous phrase, we don't make mistakes. We just have happy accidents. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world, right? Um, he's not a member of any specific, like, organized religion, although he does frequently say God bless at the end of his episodes. He says that he kind of believes in a creator God, um, which he says, I've heard him say before that phrase, like a creator God. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't really subscribe to any particular sure. religion. He's a big fan of country music. Um, in 1987, he's invited on stage by Hank Snow at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. <laughs> That's fun. Which he's very nervous about, but cracks and jokes with the audience. Got going. He did great. Yeah. Delightful. Um, during his career, he also makes a lot of TV appearances. Um, he's on the Joan Rivers show, Phil Donahue show. Mm-hmm. Um, does some promotional spots for MTV. Because it kind of... Iconic. They said it kind of played into, like, that generation's love for kind of old school, like, 70s throwback vibes. They were very sure. into that, and he kind of fit that persona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he does a lot of spots. He did, like, a live thing with Regis and Kathy Lee, and they paint with him, and, you know, it was kind of cool. That's cool. Um, Now, it is alleged... That during the time when things are, when the business is hopping, that Bob and Annette Kowalski have an affair. Mm. She denies that that happened. But his son, Steve, in the documentary talks about it pretty at length. Like, uh-huh. um, overhearing an argument between Bob and um, his wife, Jane, when she found out about it, like, pretty clear that it probably did happen uh-huh um annette among the circle of people who are kind of around them is known to be like very jealous and like like i said bob is known to be kind of a flirt and especially when he um starts getting some recognition and he knows that his audience is women when he goes out to public appearances he will purposefully flirt with them because it makes them feel good and he knows right. that and they're right. fans and he'll just kind of flirt and be really friendly and annette would apparently get very jealous Mm. um, and didn't like him giving attention to other people or women. 
Um, and then it kind of stops coming around as much after Jane finds out there's like a big blow up, I guess. I don't know all the details, but in the doc, it seems like there's some sort of blow up about it. Yeah. And she's not really around as much at like the public appearances after that. She still shows up, but she's not like flitting around the studio quite as much. I don't Sure. Um, now, in terms of the business itself, Bob's Bob wants the business to grow, but his interest is in having this art reach as many people as possible. Sure. I mean, truly, he was not somebody who's in it for the money. He really just wants to – I mean, it's called the joy of painting for a reason. Right. Because he believes right. that that is true, and he wants people to experience Everybody to get it. the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. The Kowalskis, on the other hand, they want to make money. They want it to sure. be a commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, the company partners with Weber to develop – the paints that are used for the show in the art classes. Mm-hmm. Weber still create, you know, sells the paints. Yeah. Um, he, Bob is pretty involved because it's very specific. They need to be designed a certain way to be able to work for this technique. Yeah. Um, there's a, a certain, ho- like, kind of oil paint or Yeah, whatever. yeah. There's a whole other story with Weber and this other, um, these other artists. Uh, well, I'll touch on it a little bit more here in a minute, but... I recommend watching the doc. There's a lot more information about like the whole thing with Weber and the paints and okay. uh, it's a lot. <laughs> um, in 1992, Bob's wife, Jane dies of cancer mm-hmm. and Bob is very heavily affected by this. He, you know, he did have an affair during their marriage, but it is very clear to me that he loved her very, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, two things can be true at once, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can do stupid things and also ultimately be a good person and regret yeah. those things and do better. Um, and shortly after Jane's death, maybe two to three weeks after, Bob himself is diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. Um, one of his friends in the documentary said he always wondered if part of it was um to do with the paint thinner that he would use um Mm. so when he cleans the brushes he's dipping them in paint thinner Mm -hmm. to get a lot of that paint off instead of water or something and then he's smacking it on the side of the easel and that's just flying everywhere Mm-hmm. and just in the air yeah there's no proof that that's what caused it he is also a lifelong smoker so Mm -hmm. you know Lots of and it ways was it could have happened. The seventies and the eighties, and there were a lot of carcinogens just yes, sort of everywhere, everywhere all, the time. all the time. But that's that's one, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like a big rumor that people are like, "Oh, it was caused by by that." People believe that, and it, I mean, it's certainly possible. But that's mm-hmm. not. There's no way to know for sure, right? And maybe, and if it was, it probably wasn't the only thing either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Bob really kind of starts pushing Steve a lot to be on the show more often, to do more of the classes, and he really wants Steve to to take over the business, and this causes a lot of conflict between the two of them. Steve at one point says that um, they didn't talk for, like, a period of time, mm-hmm. um, but the... He then kind of, Bob then kind of confides in Steve and says, like, here's what's really going on. The fact is that there were four owners in this company. Bob, Jane, Annette, and Walt. 
And when Jane died, Bob lost a vote. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, like, there was a voting system. We would all vote on things, mm-hmm. directions to take the company. I lost a vote. So I'm out, mm-hmm. basically. They're going to make all yeah. the decisions. They're in charge now. And he really wanted Steve to kind of step in and say, like. Still cause, cause, represent that more, like, grounded kind of perspective. And yeah. well. So he's afraid right. that he's going to die and the company is going to go to them. Solely and, to them. Yeah. Um, the show does end in 1994, so he can take a big, a more focus on his health. Um, mm-hmm. Though they never say that publicly but he is stepping away for his health mm-hmm. um he he has two heart attacks and two p- bouts of cancer by his 40s so he is not oh wow doing amazing right? right um in 1995 he makes his final public television appearance as a guest on a pilot episode of a children's show the adventures of elmer and friends he mm. always wanted to do a, a kids show he knew that audience was there um, yeah. He wanted to do like an art show with kids. Um, but he goes on this pilot and he is visibly not doing well. well mm-hmm. You can see clips of it. He has lost a lot of weight. He's wearing a wig to keep up the hair appearance. And you can mm. tell. I mean, it's not a super wiggy wig, but you can tell it's not his hair. His hair. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently the Kowalskis were unhappy that he appeared on this show and looked unwell they didn't want him to do it because they didn't want anybody to know he was sick Uh and they were angry that he didn't he looked sick on the show right just like okay (laughs) okay (laughs) sorry i'm not well i don't know what to tell you Mm -hmm. they suck they're the worst um the second bout of cancer is an aggressive type of lymphoma he he goes down pretty quickly his health Mm -hmm. really declines um while he is in the process of dying he gets married again he marries his Mm. third wife linda brown um about two months before his death um she's a nurse that he had met while he was Uh sick and then Uh in and out of hospitals and we're gonna come back to it here in a sec um Bob Ross dies on July 4th, 1995 in Orlando, Florida at the age of 52. Mm-hmm. He is interred at Woodlawn Memorial Park in Gotha, Florida. There is a plaque marked Bob Ross Television Artist. <laughs> I like that title. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's like got him on it. Um, mm. He the he kept his illness a secret. Like the public did not know really that he that was he was sick. ill. Um, he's a very private person. He did not like his private life being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you die of cancer, people kind of have a right to know after the fact that you have gone, especially when you're a public mm-hmm. figure. Um, but the Kowalskis don't love that. They don't, they do not want people to know that he was sick at any point. And they don't. Well, that's. That's so insane to me because it's like he's cancer, and, and and again, especially in the '90s, because like there was a huge uptick yes. of people getting cancer in the '80s and '90s because mm-hmm. in the 
in the like 50s through 70s with all those new products that were being developed a yep. lot of them contained carcinogens and so like it and, started to become more and more of a problem huge. exactly yeah yep yeah, so it started to become more and more of a problem for a really long time. We started to see a really big uptick in mm-hmm. cancer. And so a lot of the average people who were big fans of Bob Ross probably knew someone affected by cancer. Yeah, like ev- or more today themselves. everyone today everyone knows someone affected Absolutely, by cancer. Yeah. And that was certainly the case through the 80s and the 90s. Like everybody knows somebody affected by cancer. Yeah. And so like I I totally get him not wanting to share that while still alive. Absolutely. Yeah. But after his death, I feel that there is really nothing wrong with saying he passed of cancer. Well, he or was he passed ill for at a all. while. <laughs> yes, yes. He passed of cancer. He was ill for a while. Yeah. Like people are you want to know something too for the for these the Kowalskis, that's the uh, sympathy money is real money, right? That's like, true. I mean, that's they true. would people would have been very sympathetic not, of that and wanted to support Bob and his family. Yeah, like it's not that tactful, is but it's true. Yeah, but, yeah. like, that's – people would have wanted to support him. Like, he spent so much time in his career making people feel like they had a personal relationship with him. Right. A little bit of closure, I think, is not too much to ask. Yeah. Anyway, so his son Steve says in the documentary that the Kowalskis did not attend the funeral – and they also tried to keep the funeral a secret from the public. Like, people didn't know it was happening. His own friends didn't know that it was happening. That makes me sad. There are friends they... in the doc that said, I found out when when the world found out. I, I, and nobody called me to come to the service. That makes me sad. Yeah. And there were only, like, like, 30 to 40 people there, despite the he fact was that so he was well so well-loved. Yeah. He was so well-loved. Like, think about Jim Henson's funeral that we talked about Well, last and week. even if it weren't, and like, like, a big, uh, a big public event thing, like, like that, there were so many people in his life, yeah. personally, that would have wanted to be there. To be there. they didn't even know. They had no like, idea. Like, his crew on the show yeah. deserves to be at his funeral. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. the people who worked with him deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So Bob has now passed. And I want to talk about what happens with the company because this is Uh obviously a big thing. This is a big part of the story. It is the story in the documentary. Yeah. I want to say, okay, this is not in my notes, but I just want to say something else about Annette because this goes back to the whole Weber situation. So Annette, at some point, Starts working with Weber to sell her own books into all under the Bob Ross brand, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she starts doing like a kind of little show of her own where she's painting florals. She came on Bob's show and painted florals in this particular style at one point. Mm-hmm. And there's another artist couple that is in the documentary that talks about this. Annette basically steals this entire style and the actual art itself from the this woman and this couple. I think their last mm. name was Jenkins, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, and she's selling materials. She's selling – she develops brushes. So this couple also works with Weber, and mm. they have been selling their supplies through Weber – Mm-hmm. And Annette essentially like pushes them out and starts mm-hmm. selling the supplies for herself. Their stuff under her name. Basically, like they had developed these, um, I think they were badger hair brushes mm-hmm. or something. Um, and the and Weber at one point told them like we can't sell those anymore. They're on an endangered species list or whatever. We can't sell whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head again. 
Um, and and then a little while later, Annette puts out a line of brushes made of the same material under Weber. So do you know what I mean? Like, so this is yes. the kind of person that Annette clearly is. She's interested in having a huge monopoly on all things art. And this couple were like pioneers of whatever that style was. That they, technique was. They were whatever. selling books for a long time. They were big names in this industry. And she, and she like came pushed in. them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Um, okay, so so this is about the company. So under the terms of incorporation for Bob Ross Inc., the death of any partner would then lead to that person's stock being equally divided among the living partners. The remaining partners. So Jane had already gone. She had a stock in the company. She was one of the partners. And then Bob dies. So all of the ownership goes solely to the Kowalskis. Uh-huh. Because they hadn't done anything to, like, get Steve in there before well, Bob died. apparently, while Bob is literally on his deathbed, they are trying to, they're aggressively trying to get Bob to sign over the rights to his estate. They want to Ugh. own everything that Bob owns. Has. Yeah. Instead of doing this, Bob writes them out of his will. Good. Um, and leaves the rights to his, leaves his estate and the rights to his name and likeness to his son and his half-brother, Jimmy. Okay. And the marriage to Linda is part of this whole thing. He's really hoping that, okay, I'll have someone else who can become a partner and kind of be my voice. If he has a spouse that they can kind of help in the fight against the Right, someone else he can legally write into his will to say, I, you know. This she also has a right to this, that, and the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after his death, Annette becomes the only person who is, quote unquote, qualified to authenticate a Bob Ross painting, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's talk in the documentary, they allege that, like, okay, because they're still doing painting classes and stuff, and they start really, like, cracking down on the on the courses and saying, like, you have to do this technique exactly like this. You can't reference other artists at all. You can't reference other instructors at all. They make them sign like contracts that uh-huh. say, I'm going to follow these exact very strict rules. And if I don't, you can revoke my qualifications and basically Oof. kick me out of the program, uh-huh. which basically means they are creating exact copies of Bob Ross paintings, like Right. It's with nobody else's artistic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And in the doc, it alleges that they had painters like forging the Ross signature on pieces um, after. So that she could sell more of them. Yeah. So (laughs) that's where we are. Um, The Kowalskis really want to use Bob's name and his likeness to sell painting supplies. So they want to use all of those Weber products. And that's what they uh-huh. want to sell hard. And they argue that pretty much everything Bob did in his career was a work for hire. And so everything that he created belongs to the company and he has no right to bequeath it to individual people. That's insane. It's his work. He has every right to bequeath it to individual people. Yeah. It's his. You would think that, Amanda. You would think that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he made it. The issue really becomes bigger because Steve, his son, wants to sell 
brushes and paints with his own name on it. They Steve create, Ross. <laughs> yeah, Robert Steve Ross. That's his full name. So they create right. a company, RSR something, um, and he wants to sell these things. But he can't do that because he doesn't own the name Ross. So he can't put Ross on products according to Bob Ross Inc. and the Kowalskis. That's crazy. And what's really crazy is that one of the people who helps Steve create his company and who helps him go after the Kowalskis is the son of the guy who runs Weber. Oh. So he jumped ship Uh. and was trying to help Steve. Because he uh-huh. didn't think it was right. He didn't like that the company owned all of this stuff that the family was not benefiting from in any way. Um, so Steve and that other guy whose name I can't remember, they actually, they sue the Kowalskis first because they are advised, like, they're going to sue you if you don't sue them. Um, mm-hmm. So they sue them first, and there are a lot of legal battles. But in the end, the Kowalskis win. They win the right to use his name and likeness because I guess that that argument works, that it belongs to Mm -hmm. the company, which is crazy. And also, I guess, I wasn't, I, there's more about it in the doc, but basically Linda, the woman that Bob married on his deathbed Mm -hmm. and his half-brother Jimmy, like, they signed something with the Kowalskis and Steve didn't know. Mm-hmm. So they had signed some sort of agreement with them saying, you can have it. And Steve had no idea. So right. now we've so got then this. Steve was just fighting by himself. We've got this problem uh, yeah. with the will that, like, it's been bequeathed to all of them, but one party didn't know that it had been signed away, right? So right. a lot of legalese that I, you know, again, I recommend watching the documentary if you want to get into, like, a little bit more of the details there. Um, but. Yeah, and then Annette and Walt retire, and their daughter, Joan, takes over the company, and that she really starts that intense merchandising. Mm-hmm. So all of the stuff we see now with Bob Ross on it, puzzles, mugs, mints, post-it notes, the paint kits, she really pushes for mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and... They eventually come to a settlement. Steve really wants some sort of something in Closure. writing. Yeah, that says, like, at the very least, I can keep doing what I'm doing because he doesn't uh-huh. have the rights anymore. Um, so he comes to an agreement that he can resume his art career and he can teach classes without the threat of a lawsuit because all of this was really keeping him from painting. Doing anything with his career. Yeah. yeah. Um, now the majority of the, which is a bummer because that is really not what Bob would have wanted. No, it was like actively preventing him from being able to do his art. Yeah. None of it is what Bob would have wanted. Um, the majority of his original oil paintings are donated to charities or PBS stations, but technically Mm -hmm. the company owns whatever's left left and the company makes all the money. So if you buy something with Bob Ross's face or his name on it, None of that money goes to his family. It goes to the Kowalskis and, and the company. That's crazy. That's crazy. So sad ending. Yeah. Because it's just really not. It's a bummer. he didn't want it. He was trying really hard to prevent it from happening. And, you know, the Kowalskis say, like, no, no, the relationship with Bob was great. Nothing was ever wrong and we're perfect. Um, but clearly that's not the but case. But everybody else is like, 
Uh, I don't know about all that. Yeah, yeah. So I do, I really recommend the documentary, especially if you want to hear from Bob's son, who would know better pretty much than anybody else what he really was like and what he really wanted. Um, but, yeah, that's Bob Ross. Man, that's Very crazy. comforting presence in our lives, and it's like lives, so yeah. sad to see that his family doesn't get to benefit benefit from that yeah but oh man i i always forget that like you were not born yet when bob ross passed away because he's still such a presence yeah i still watch the show i mean i I, feel good okay watching the show because that's like public television they're not making yeah it's like all on youtube you know what i mean like yeah although they are the ones who started the actual youtube channel so maybe just i didn't know that somewhere else i didn't know that (laughs) But, um, yeah. Yeah, I have, like, okay, I teach sixth grade, right? Yeah. So I have, like, 11-year-olds. Yeah. Um, And I have some set of Bob Ross sticky notes that somebody gave me a handful of it years probably ago. probably me. Probably. That's <laughs> out on my desk. The company I used um, to work for sold them. Yeah, I have, so I have them out on my desk. And my kids will be like, oh, my gosh, Bob Ross, I love Bob Ross. And I'm like, well, I don't, there's so many people that I feel like you children should know and like he is one of them but also like why is he one of them over like my kids don't know who big, the Jonas Brothers are you know what I he mean had like a big resurgence I think especially yeah. during the pandemic because mm-hmm. like I think was it the BBC or some station in Britain started re-airing the show oh yeah during the pandemic when they couldn't make anything yeah and it it got very big again mm-hmm. and you know it's comforting and calming and people were feeling very oh, yeah. stressed during and... call during college before the pandemic we would do like paint nights. Our, my school would do bob ross paint nights yep. where they would put one of his things up on the big screen yeah and have all the supplies out for us and we would just do it and i know lots of other people do that but like that was you know yeah. 18 to 21 year olds who have never lived, you know, Bob Ross did not live in our lifetime. Right. All sitting in a room painting with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And on the one hand, it's it's so frustrating and it makes you want to not participate because you know that the money is going to people who don't really deserve it. But on the other hand, it's like keeping his legacy alive. That was his which he vision. That was his dream. He would yeah. have loved that. He wanted everybody to have that kind of access to it. Yeah, being so, able to learn how to paint and, you know, that yeah. part he would have really loved. So it's like a weird kind of fine line to yeah, to walk. Maybe just don't overindulge in buying the yeah. Bob Ross ink stuff. Or maybe buy it third party or something. Yeah. <laughs> so they're getting less money. But... Yeah. Uh, capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. That old beast. Yeah. But that's Bob. Mm-hmm. Made some mistakes, sure, but ultimately, good man who just wanted us all to... To love art. Paint happy little trees and... Yeah. <laughs> and like ourselves and what we create. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one. Thanks. I enjoyed researching it. Mm-hmm. um okay well i don't know what's happening next could, could not tell you i don't know <laughs> oh it's black history month right february is black history, history I keep, month i keep thinking that we're already halfway through february i have no, no idea where i am or what time it is <laughs> yeah even is, a little bit it is no clue where we are in the year i feel like no. january has lasted three months so uh-huh. i haven't been thinking about what comes after yeah. january February's right. Black History Month. We will yes. 
do episodes for Black History Month. We would love your recommendations for yes, that. I know we'll talk please. more about that in a minute, but um, yeah, that's that's one that I'm always interested in learning new people, learning about new people who we history has otherwise forgotten. So yes, would love to hear suggestions for Black History Month. Yes, please. I mean, we will definitely be able to find topics, but if there's something that you're like, man, I really wish they talk about that, please let us mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, because we love to to research it. Um, yeah, and if you hey, if you want to suggest something for Black History Month or in the future, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at rttpod, also threads, same name. Uh, very cool, very hip. Um, you can find us on Facebook if you want. I don't know why you're using Facebook. I don't know why we're using Facebook, but it's there if you want it. Um, and we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you would like to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woohoo! We we got through it, and we certainly did. <laughs> My voice woke up a little bit as we were going. That's yeah, you good. Got a little rest there in between. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, folks, until next time. Remember that time. Mm-hmm.